Hey team, welcome to episode 78 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. From day-to-day operations, taxation, asset allocation, how much of your personal assets are at risk, creditors, litigation, liability, the business structure you choose for your dental practice or partnership influences a significant number of factors. Will you be a sole prop, LLC, partnership, C-Corp, S-Corp, there are several options and many legal and tax considerations. Which is most common? How do we determine what structure is best for you, for your dental partnership, and which will set you up for the least administrative burden or problems down the road? Well, we'll talk about that today. But my trusted co-host, Mr. Loretto, will not be with me today, but I'm excited to welcome Kane Waters and Associates Financial Advisor and CPA extraordinaire, Mr. David Forbes, to the episode. Hello. Howdy, howdy. David's been with CWA since 09 and he first joined the tax department and has been in financial planning for the last how many years? Going on 13. 13, lucky 13. His ability to connect with both clients and associates make him a sought after mentor and educator within the planning team and we are so pumped to have him here with us today and he also has lots of podcast experience so he has an incredible voice so just enjoy his time with us today. I hope I'm able to deliver here. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. You totally will. Okay, so you know that we at NDP, buyers and sellers, right? So all transition. And when we work with these buyers, one of the first questions we typically get is, how am I going to buy this practice? How am I going to buy these assets? Am I going to do it myself? Am I going to buy it through an entity? And we clearly know from our perspective, working with you guys and just kind of our experience in the dental industry, like what's the most common, but there are clearly a ton of different ways to do this. And I'm sure you see clients come in with various types of structures and there are pros and cons. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think what my goal is today, and I really want your insight, because clearly, like I said, we have the front end knowledge, but you have a wealth of experience in dealing with these various structures post close and kind of onto their both initial years where they're kind of growing and building partnerships and then actually in the end when they're transitioning them away. And so I just want to walk through like the most common types of structures for individuals like as buyers when they're buying and then sellers as they look to add a partner and buyers as they look to enter partnerships like what is the advantageous structure there. Yeah, Sound good? absolutely. Sounds okay. great. Sold proprietorship. So I am a Joe Schmo. I'm going to open a dental practice. That's it's a really good name. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> and I'm going to by a dental practice and I don't create an entity, I just start operating as a business. Give me the pros and cons there. Yeah. So affectionately known as the sole prop, the sole proprietor. So really, really simple. You get to file your business returns on your actual personal tax return. There's some pros with that, just a lot less to kind of file with certain states and less regulatory issues to kind of keep up with from a practical standpoint, especially dealing with the dental space. I think one of the things a lot of these professionals are concerned with is the idea of just liability too. So you are full on liable for everything. Everything is titled in your social security number now, and you have a lot of tax issues that you gotta start kind of navigating here as well. Payroll taxes, that's a real thing because now we're starting to talk about self-employment tax. There's some advantages because it's simple, but a lot of disadvantages when it comes to just long-term growth of a practice. It's probably worth considering some of the next uh, corporations that we're going to be kicking around <laughs> here as well. So least desirable. 
For lack of better words, yes, probably the <laughs> you least You can be desirable. honest here. Okay, yep, We're yep, in a yep, safe yep. space. And I will add here, as we talk through these, there's clearly legal reasons and kind of pros and cons from this. And there's also tax and more just kind of operational day-to-day business. We'll kind of hit on some of them or neither of us are attorneys, so I'm not going to give you legal advice. And we, as we always say, like having a team around you with both a legal perspective and tax perspective is always key in these decisions. But just kind of to know there's always more to the story and your unique situation might push you one way or the other, but rarely the prop. So what about LLC? And I know this kind of can have different terms or names depending on state and there's other types that go here. Exactly right. So this is more of a state designation here. So not necessarily recognized by the federal government, Mm -hmm. but this is going to be the next thing that you can put into place to kind of limit that liability between the corporate entity and you personally. And so back in the day, there were PAs, there were PCs, so Mm -hmm. professional corporations, LLCs, PLLCs. Those are just going to be just probably the overriding recommendation for a majority of our practices here. If we're going to be just an individual owner in a business, that's going to be the the default designation pending. That's what your attorney tells you. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so from state to state, that designation actually will change. And then that's just something you file with the state. Likely you end up electing into certain types of corporations. Mm -hmm. So C corporations, S corporations, but these traditionally will default either into a C corporation or they'll still be reported on your personal tax return, kind of like this whole prop was, but now we have that cute little uh, comma LLC after our business name now. Okay, and so the goal here, and we can, I want to talk about those two elections because one of those is actually the preferred method of our entities. And so this will, again, like David said, this is when, you know, for example, I think it's California, you have to be a PC. And if you're a dentist, right, or a professional, they might say, hey, you have to be this type of entity if you are a dentist in this state. And so that's where an attorney is going to come in to make sure that you're, you know, filing the correct type of entity based on your state's rules. But this is the type of entity that we most see at NDP. Sounds like David most commonly sees. And then the distinction here is you can be this entity, right? And how you're taxed can be different based on the election you make. So talk to us about C-Corp versus S-Corp and these entities in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So C-Corporation, I think probably the easiest way to envision that is picture like a Fortune 500 company. So like Apple, that's going to be traditionally, that's a a C-Corporation. So it has shareholders at the end of the day and the owners of said C-Corporations. So if we kind of dial this back into the dental space, if I'm the dentist and I own my business as a C-Corporation, I'm now an officer of the business and I take out wages from that. The only other way that I can take money out of the business is either more wages or I take out corporate dividends. And so that's where the whole idea of double taxation kind of comes into play because if I leave profits in my C-Corporation, I have to pay corporate income tax on that amount. And then if I still want to take out the resulting profits on that, of course, I'm taking out dividends now. So me as the shareholder in the business, I pay taxes twice. So I'm paying taxes on my wages that I get paid out of the corporation. And now I'm also paying taxes on the dividends that I'm taking out at the end of the day too, plus the corporate taxes that I had to pay as well. Because the C-Corp is, I mean, it almost creates it like it is its own being. It is its own entity. It stands completely alone. It's completely shielded from... It's not a what we hear of as a flow through entity. It is everything is kind of contained in there. It's taxed as its own being. Therefore, liability wise, really important to kind of keep that very clean. This is the business. It's not like we're running personal things through there. So how is that different than the S Corp and what pros and cons of that? Well, so like you said, the S Corp is going to be more of the flow through entity. So you've got a little bit more flexibility there in terms of legal liability. I don't know that I can specifically speak to I that, yeah, um, but know. they're going to both be shielding 
including the actual shareholder or the owner of the business. Correct. Either way. So when you made the comment of running certain business items and personal items through this entity now, they don't really necessarily like to see a whole lot of mixing a lot of personal expenses, not perks, but just like personal expenses yeah. running back through your business because now you're kind of muddying this water muddying between water. this corporate shield that's sitting there. So piercing the corporate veil is always the infamous term that mm-hmm. we're trying to avoid. The S corporation, that's going to just give you a lot more flexibility when it comes back down to tax planning long term. Because it gets rid of the double taxation. That's right. And then from a, I tend to see older entities, older, more established, I wouldn't say older, more established doctors who have C Corp. So my assumption is at some point in time, it was like the in vogue type of entity and S Corps have over time kind of taken precedence or taken, they're just better. So that's a loaded question, I mm, guess. So I like this. Um, I guess we can talk politics. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, with that, so tax policy is actually going to be a big driver of some of these conversations that we end up having around corporate structure. Historically, that having a C corporation was actually more favorable in terms of tax planning strategies for those individuals at that point in time. As we have furthered our, our tax uh, planning strategies as legislation has permitted mm-hmm. The S-Corps have now become a more advantageous way of owning our business for tax purposes. If we fast forward a couple years and whatever administrations do at that point in time, that actually gives us some other opportunities to maybe consider a C-Corporation again. And you can vacillate between the two. There's time restrictions on this. You can't make an election one year to be it, one year not to be the Mm -hmm. S-Corporation. There are some restrictions that you have to get around but there's some flexibility within this. We run into that often with the S-Corp because I think it's like a five-year time period, right? Like once you make the election to go away or go, you have to kind of not transition, not sell, kind of hold all your interests for five years to try to avoid that. Yep, five years. So maybe you should have someone who's like super on it and understands tax laws if you're going to set up this entity. Yeah, I think having a CPA help you out with this one is pretty smart. I think so. Not just a CPA, right? Dental specific. That's right. Very intelligent CPA. Just so we're clear. Okay, cool. So those are individuals. Now, if I'm going to admit my first... I'm going to have an associate. I'm going to let them buy in. I'm a buyer listening who has is going to become a partner. What are the ways that we can kind of create a partnership or what types of entities do you find to be the most advantageous from a partnership perspective? So from a partnership perspective, I would say a partnership. <laughs> <laughs> would that be a 1065 Correct. from a tax perspective? Yes. So partnerships can come in many forms. So I can have a partner, a quote unquote partner in a C corporation, in an S corporation, But to do this, the most efficient way is probably to have you as a partner in a partnership, which files a 1065 partnership return. And the primary reason for that is it just makes distribution of profits and splitting expenses a lot easier at the end of the day. There's a lot less restrictions on how I'm splitting money, splitting expenses with my partners because people have weird partnership agreements at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the real simple, I love my partner, let's just 50-50 on everything. And that's great. Uh, that is more the exception <laughs> than the rule is what I've found. And it's more of that I want them to own 22% of seven locations and I have 14. Yeah. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and so this partnership actually just kind of allows you to move money and expenses a little bit easier through. In a unique way, like whatever way you and your partner, however you guys have agreed to split money, you have more flexibility in that manner. Absolutely. And so, but it sounds like that's its own type of entity, right? So like if I'm in a LLC, can I just change and be taxed as an S-Corp or am I having to like create a new structure when I bring that buyer on. 
dot, 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 it depends. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think the most common way that we see this occur is we have just our traditional single doctor practice and they're admitting an associate into mm-hmm. partnership now. So what that would entail is creating a brand new entity now. So brand new tax ID number, NPIs, and that is moving all the income, expenses, billing from our old corporation we operated out of into this brand new entity that we had to create. Now that is, I think the orgies was onerous. That mm-hmm. it, it's a big process, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not gonna lie, it's a huge pain in the rear to do that. And I apologize to any of the office managers that might be helping <laughs> with this process because it, it's terrible. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is from my experience that is absolutely worth the trouble and the headache of getting this thing right at the beginning. Because depending on the vision of a lot of our doctors, they're very growth minded. They're go-getters, they're entrepreneurs, and so they've got bigger visions. And so is that the next partner, the next location? And having this thing set up from the beginning, it's kind of plug and play on a go-forward basis now. And so three-entity structure, that's kind of what you're referring to. And and if you're a listener of Transition Talk, you've heard us talk about that, where if you can kind of envision a triangle, right? So we have the operating entity on top, the selling doctor's original, let's call it LLC, is kind of sits down there at the bottom, buyer creates a new entity and they both kind of own that operating entity together. So clearly ability, if I heard you right, ability to kind of share profits, the ability to kind of split money how you want is best there. And you can have that top entity, I'm assuming can be an LLC, a PLC, it can be the same entities we talked about initially. We're just now taxing them as 1065, S-Corp, whatever makes the most sense based on state and and situation. That's exactly right. So like in Tennessee, you're going to be a GP, so a general partnership, whereas in Texas or some other state, you might be a PLLC or an LLC. That is just purely a state designation from protection purposes. Consult with your CPA and attorney on that one. But the titling of that partnership, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a taxable event at the partnership. They're all flow through entities. And so to your your three structure or three corporate structure tier Mm -hmm. that you're talking about. None of them technically are incurring any tax issues at this point. What are some other reasons? Because I mean, clearly we have clients who are setting these up and we have buyers who are working with sellers who have other representation who say, hey, you know what? Like, I get it. I hear you. But like, what's the real advantage here? Because at the end of the day, this is going to be, I mean, I'm credentialed with all of these. I have this EIN. It's going to take me months and months. It's maybe a Medicaid. Like what are the other advantages kind of post just, Hey, you can split money easy. Like what is the actual like implementation that you see post that kind of makes it where it's like, Hey, this front end effort is really worth the back end like pain. Yeah. So I think honestly transition. I think either admitting additional partners into the partnership or having partners get redeemed out as they start Mm -hmm. to retire. You've already done all the hard work up front and basically it's just plug and play on a go forward basis. Kind of maintaining the old structure. Yeah, I think that there are some arguments for some of the insurances that we might be credentialed with. Mm -hmm. Delta kind of being one of the big Mm -hmm. ones that people Mm -hmm. are afraid to lose. But there's some workarounds with some of these uh, and it's worth actually going through that pain. And then you're also kind of getting this practice out of your name individually. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these groups, you're branded or you're known as just Dr. Such and Such, you know, LLC. Well, all of a sudden we've got multiple doctors or group practices. And within that, maybe that helps with a rebrand and that helps kind of just us present a different face out to the community, depending on where we're practicing. Versus me just being still a name and bringing someone on. Yep. So with this three entity structure, what you're talking about, those are essentially all asset sales, right? Because we're selling assets from my old individual entity to new buyer's entity, 
that operating entity is really just like checkbook, like operations of the practice, correct? So I've had several clients recently who are an S-corp, so sellers in S-corp, and they just want to have the buyer buy into their S-corp. So that I know has some like post-close headaches. So I know it can be complex. So like the most simple kind of explanation of like why that is not advantageous for either party long-term. Sure. So I kind of step back a little bit when I think through that. And when I think through actual partnership, I'm trying to make sure that I'm helping create something that's fair for both parties. A lot of times the S-Corp, it just seems easy initially. I let somebody buy some shares in my corporation, me as the seller, all cap gains, pretty sweet deal. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you're a new partner. They didn't get any tax benefit for buying in. They just got stuck with a big old note that they have no depreciation, no Mm write-offs from those first Mm -hmm. years of buying into a practice. But going forward, as we split money, depending on what that methodology is, is it a percentage of production? Is it split based on ownership, et cetera, et cetera? You are stuck to splitting money. So the distributions out of that Mm S-Corp, you're stuck to splitting those based on your ownership percentage in the practice. So if I buy 30% of a practice from you, basically I have to take out money 30, 70, basically with whatever's left in the pot at the end of the day. And if we get super, super technical, that means that I have to run expenses or perks through pro rata with my ownership relative to yours as well. That gets real hairy, real fast. And a lot of, a lot of CPAs will say, let's just not run your perks through. Let's just keep it pretty clean. And so you start losing some of the, the advantages. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are the 30%, I'm 70% and you are super aggressive and you want to run your continuing ed- all your continuing education through, you go to Vegas for a conference, you run it through, you want to run your car through, you want to run your meals and entertainment, and maybe you're a little more aggressive there. If you run more than I do, right? So if everything's exactly equal, proportionate to your ownership, it's, it's easy. But the moment something becomes out of line, how do you correct that? It's a real pain. <laughs> so you're having to track all this internally. And the easiest way to, to true this up, if you will, is through W-2 payments at the end of the year. So you have to run bonus calculations to determine if I ran $50,000 worth of junk through, you ran $0, then I've got to basically true this up through a bonus check back out to make sure that we stay pro rata with how much mm-hmm. we were spending within this practice. So then you have to pay payroll taxes on that. So you're essentially spending additional extra money the partnership wouldn't have had to have if you had some other structure that wouldn't require that like pro rata ownership split because then you could just adjust ownership you could get 25 and i could get 75 because you ran more through than i did yeah absolutely well and honestly we kind of come back to i think one of the big fears that people have is getting audited Mm -hmm. so i'm going to run everything i have possibly through this thing and you are super conservative terrified of it well Mm -hmm. i just opened you up to the same amount of risk that i'm on the table for too And so then in the three entity structure, essentially those two entities are what allow you to do that. You can be as aggressive as you want. I can be conservative as I want. And that doesn't impact the practice at all, right? The practice gets audited. It's everything that we both have agreed to like as is a business expense of the practice versus you had your opinion, I had mine. It's different. Yep. That top entity is super clean. And then basically at the end of the day, I wrote everything off and paid no taxes. You didn't write anything off and you paid tons in taxes. <laughs> and then we just see where the cards lie. And we're not maybe resentful of each other or paying extra for the accounting or judging the other's expenses. <laughs> That's right. You know, I can see that. I judge my husband's expenses on a daily basis. I kind of wish As we had two entities. <laughs> Uh, I guess we can. Can you help me with that, David? (laughs) What about some of the other pros that kind of come out, you know, depreciation? So talk, let's talk about, so in this structure, 
theoretically, I guess they don't have to, but a lot of times the assets will live in those individual entities. So talk about depreciation and kind of pros and cons. And clearly, I know this also probably changes the tax law, but what's that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect example. So let's say I've got a buyer that just bought in this last year. So they're in their first or second year of ownership. You still have tons of purchase deductions from when you bought in. Mm-hmm. Then you and your partner decide, you know what? We need an iCat and a couple of scanners and a few other things. Uh, we need $200,000 worth of equipment. Mm-hmm. So if I own 50% of the equipment, you own 50% of the equipment, we can choose how we want to depreciate that separate from each other. If I'm the younger doctor with all these buying deductions, I probably want to spread that out over time to kind of help keep me out of this phantom income or paying taxes on you know that income that I'm showing because I'm still paying off my practice mm-hmm. loan. Me as the senior doctor, well, I assumed I was the senior doctor. Here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I need all the deductions that I can take because I just sold part of my practice to you at this point in time. And so I had this huge income hit. I need as many write-offs as I can take this very first year. Let's get them. So you might use something like you might accelerate that depreciation. You'd want 79 if that happens to be a good year for that. Like whatever tax strategies exist for you, you can take those separately. You're not forcing kind of your younger partner to yep. take them. It gives both parties autonomy and how they want to write things off now. Okay. It's pretty awesome. What else? What are some other pros and cons that you can think of of this structure? What about, do you have to have separate retirement plans? Like, do you use the same retirement plan? What about family? What are some other pros and cons? Yeah, I mean, you hit two of the big ones right on the head. Um, So the perks and family members, I I think that those are the nice ones. And Mm -hmm. so I can pay my three boys if I went to through my own corporation uh, and I can pay my wife. And you might not have any children at the time and you don't believe in that. (laughs) So. I'm not implicating you on running them through payroll of the partnership. Secondly, under the retirement plan, so the 401k plan, that's just going to be looked at as one big plan for all parties involved in this one entity. So the partnership and the 2S corporations, they adopt one retirement plan here. So that way it kind of keeps administrative costs down. It keeps having different funds and different accounts set up at a bunch of different places. So we're looking for simplicity there. Now, again, for some of the senior doctors, they might have more than just a 401k plan. They might have their cash balance or their defined benefit plans. They can kind of keep that to themselves and they would just cover their own corporation and the staff members. You as the young doctor mm-hmm. in this situation, you don't necessarily have to participate in that plan and okay. bear any of those costs with that retirement plan. But if I'm the senior doctor and I already have a retirement plan, all of that set up in my own entity, do I have to set up new plans or are there ways to just, I'm sure this can be complex and varies by state, but generally does the new entity we create, does that just to kind of adopt that plan and kind of, we don't have to kind of go through the rigmarole of like all the new setup and all the new. Yep. That's exactly okay. right. So you can adopt that existing plan as an adopting employer now. So you can have multiple adopting employers. So all the new entities, all the new partners, they can adopt the existing plan that's already sitting there. There might need to be some changes to it. And that's when you can talk with a pension attorney if we need to add a couple little paragraphs or some a few little changes here and there. But it's a pretty simple process, honestly. What do you say to people when they say, I'm not sure I want to do that. And I think the only reason you're suggesting this structure is because you want three sets of books and three sets of tax returns and more revenue for what you're asking me to create. It seems very expensive, David. You're right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, That's a valid point. It's a great question. But the way that this is set up is your entities that own the partnership, by and large, there's just not going to be a whole lot of activity that goes through there. So the need for like monthly accounting or anything like that, you can do it quarterly every six months because you just got some payroll, a few credit cards of just 
a few meals and entertainment items running through there mm-hmm. by and large. So the cost isn't actually too bad on that. From the tax returns standpoint, I think just the differentiation and what I can run through versus what you can run through, you will more than make up the benefit relative to the cost that you're incurring for those types of structures. And there's something to be said about just being autonomous from your partner on this to make some of your own personal risk decisions relative to theirs. <laughs> we work with a bunch of CPAs at Cane Waters and our risk tolerances are all over the map. Yeah. And that's pretty fascinating in itself just to kind of see you run what through and um, I would never run, you know, this mm-hmm. office depot expense through. <laughs> but it's an office supply. <laughs> it just like seemed it aggressive. Says it just seems so aggressive. <laughs> no, I, I think that to me is very important, right? Like if you're going to set up this three entity structure and you're not going to run anything through any of them, right? Like and you're literally just going to pay yourself and, and you and your partner are very simple and you both are exactly the same. You're twin brothers who are running this, right? Like I can see how you would say this is just more cost and we're doing the same thing. But I think that's a very rare occurrence. And I think people have kind of a little bit of a rosy picture of like their partnership when they start this process. And so I know we do, and I know you do too. Like you've seen a lot of ups and downs. You've seen partnerships that haven't worked. You've seen that that one thing that was fine now becomes like an item of resentment, right? Financial or otherwise over time. And I agree that I feel like, and this is hard to kind of get some people to grasp when you're talking like dollars and cents in the beginning, but like the non-financial incentive and pros of this structure and the ease of that transition in the future when you as a senior doctor are ready to kind of step back and kind of sell your interest to someone else, you do it once and it's done, right? You don't have to do it again. That partnership agreement that you put together, how you're splitting money, the clean financials, and just looking from a transition perspective. If I see that op, we do Cane Waters valuations, we look at Cane Waters practices. And when I do that and I see this three entity structure and I see the operational entity, most of the time it is very clean and very straightforward and you know what you're getting as a buyer. So I do think those pieces are very important. I think it's just so hard for people to see on the front end when they're setting it up because all they see is like, oh my gosh, all of the work I have to do, but it is a short-term pain for a long-term benefit. Yeah, and if we kind of, why are we setting all this up at the end of the day? Um, We're trying to set up a a repeatable process Mm -hmm. that basically becomes an an unemotional approach to how do we handle money. Money at the end of the day and splitting money with a partner, and if we don't have certain things defined, it can become very emotional. That one little $4 expense that I ran through three years ago that I could have gotten for free at the house, that'll fester somewhere with somebody mm-hmm. and it'll blow up. And so we're just trying to do whatever we can to kind of put as many feelings away from dollars at the end of the day. And so if we can keep that operational entity squeaky clean, and then I can judge you internally on how you mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. you know, spend $200 on a lunch and I'm just going to go to Chick-fil-A and eat my nuggets. Mm-hmm. We can make those decisions independent of each other because what you just spent doesn't impact me. I actually have a client right now and it's actually, and this is I think important too, it's not always the doctors. Sometimes it's the doctor's spouses yep. and the spouse has always been very involved and you know, they're very conservative people and the buyer is not, you know, like, and sometimes I think that buyers sometimes are not because like you guys have been through like having no money for so long that when you finally start making money you're like i just need a new car i just need a house i need a wife i need kids and you do it all at one time and so it feels like i think to these established doctors that these buyers are just going crazy and they have no they're fiscally irresponsible (laughs) um 
but like who cares it's right. their money yep. you know what i mean like it shouldn't if it impacts the practice i think that just opens the door for just so many more arguments and just kind of side eyes of the lunch or the you took the tollway instead of the, the service <laughs> the <access> roads. <laughs> well it, i mean to that point though that's that's one of the reasons why i tell my clients i'm not a big fan of seller financing when i bring a partner mm-hmm. on either because we're trying to keep some of those emotional decisions off yep. the table. And me as the buyer, I'm going to hate writing that check once a month, every month yeah. for the next 10 years. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and again, talking about building some resentment right there. $9,000 this guy again. Um, Be mad at Bank of America or provide. <laughs> right. Or take that off the table. Yeah, just take it off the table. What have I not covered, if anything, or that we haven't discussed that you think is important when we're talking about just entity setup and structure? I mean, there's every now and then I'll hear some, oh, what about this certain type of election or this certain type of reorganization and this one attorney knows how to do this or the CPA? Like, what is your thought process when you hear that, right? Like, we all want to be open. We all want to know better ways to do something. But when we talk about entities and partnership setup, kind of what do you think through when you when you hear those types of things. So there's a couple that I'll actually bring up here that are um, becoming more and more popular. So there's some attorneys that are going to be out there and they're going to say, you need to set up, you know, this chain of LLCs and then ultimately all the money's going to end up in some C corporation to shelter you from taxes. I have yet to see the mousetrap actually work mm-hmm. and just not be something that's creating more and more tax returns, more mm-hmm. and more LLCs to where I'm trying to get money to go from my right pocket to my left pocket, to my back pocket, to my shoe. Yep. Um, I've just not seen that work out very well. I'll pause and let you finish. But then what I've seen there, though, is you set up so many different entities and then it's such a mess because you don't even know where things are supposed to go that like you have like 16 entities and you forget to file returns for one. And then at the end of the day, it's not doing what it should do. And it's only made things more complicated. Yeah. Most people yeah. can't follow the flow chart on, yeah. on this thing right now. And you set up just a massive headache for yourself at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. So um, anyway, sorry to interrupt you. No, that's fine. The, the next big one is going to be for more of our entrepreneurial type clients that are, I want to just grow and I want to have, you know, centralized operations. I want to become my own DSO of mm-hmm. some regard. That's a whole different conversation whole at this point in time. Conversation. And do we set up an actual management entity? What does this management entity look like? Do I have management service agreements all set up? And that's going to require some pretty substantial time with some attorneys setting mm-hmm. that up in conjunction with the CPA, a dental specific CPA. Mm-hmm. Very important. I think that that's going to be, that's its own kind of ball of wax right here. Yeah, I agree. And I think that we see that a lot actually at a client who was very hesitant to set up the three entity structure, but their long-term goal was to create like a DSO type structure. And I was like, how do we think we're going to do that with one entity? But yeah, no, I mean, I think that's really important. Like long-term, if you are one of those people who are entrepreneurial and you want to do that, right? Setting up your partnership in a way that is flexible on the front end, right? will allow you to then build upon that later, right? So there is a little bit to say, you know, as you look to set up something, how do I ultimately want to run this? What am I ultimately wanting to do? And if I'm ultimately wanting to either have a bunch of partners because it's gonna, we're gonna grow this one location or we're gonna just go and land grab and add a bunch of practices, well, how are we gonna do that? Am I gonna wanna sell those practices individually? Am I gonna want them to buy into this huge overall piece? So the entity structure matters a ton for those that kind of are more growth-minded. Even individuals, right? I mean, you can have a partnership, you can have a 1065, because I sometimes I'll hear people that say, hey, I wanna create a partnership, but what happens if that seller leaves and I don't wanna add another partner and I just wanna own 100%? There are solutions to that too, right? Because some of these entities or structures, you have to have two owners. Right. So how does someone navigate that? Right. If they're like, I don't know if I ever want another partner when established doc leaves in five to 10 years. 
Yeah. So if we are partners in that partnership, most states aren't going to allow a non-licensed or a non-clinical dentist True. to be owning something like that. So if we've got this partnership kind of already established, someone went through the hard work 10 years ago mm-hmm. of moving all the insurances and opening up the bank accounts at the new entity. And I'm just, like you said, undecided if I want to have someone else kind of sharing the reins with me. I can still maintain business out of that partnership, and I just own 99% of my interest in that partnership through my S-Corp, and I own 1% of it personally. So that way, I don't have to reshift or redesign how the bank accounts are set up. Um, We can just kind of keep the same corporate structure in place. And so then five years goes down the road, your kids are getting to be in high school, you, you want to chase them around, you've already got the entity set up, and you find that new associate you like them, they want to be a partner, you de-risk your position by letting them partner in with you. Plug and play, right? Okay. The entity's already set up, they buy into the partnership now. That's probably one of the easiest ways of going about that. Again, doing it once, setting it up long-term, if you happen to go through a phase where you're the only owner for whatever reason, it can maintain. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Anything else? I don't think so on entity structures. Okay, well, we'll have to set up another uh, conversation, Joellen, let's set that up, about all of the other things that David sees. (laughs) So many ways to structure opportunities and hopefully you've learned something new today. If we didn't say it enough, don't go at this alone. You know, we've both dealt with so many instances of, of solving and fixing structures. And I promise you it's more painful to fix a structure once it's established than to set it up correctly on the front end. Attorneys, CPAs, advisors, having that team in place to give you your options, explain the pros and cons so that you can make the best decision for you and for your partnership. And clearly, you know that both NDP and Kane Waters are here to help. So that's all we have for today. Thank you, David, for your expertise and your lovely podcast voice. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. And thanks to you all for joining us on episode 78 of Transition Talk. As always, make sure to share the transition love with those who may not know of us yet. And of course, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, friends. Bye.